Good morning once again, everybody. Uh, thanks for taking part in the greeting time. Maybe a few of you discussed your favorite Christmas cookies. But uh, we now turn to our sermon. And our sermon text for this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. We read, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is God's word. We pray. Dear God, you sent your son into our world at Christmas. Our world is broken and it's flawed and sometimes we're troubled and sad. But this Christmas, one more time, fill us with a deep appreciation of the incredible gift of your son that you've given to us. Bless our meditation on your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, <clears throat> disappointment is no fun. And yet, disappointment is an unavoidable part of life. Right? I think that probably after the last two years of pandemicking, we would all say that disappointment is a far too familiar part of life. Now, I know this is a, a sensitive topic, because it's happening right now, so I don't want to overdo it or, or beat a dead horse here, but man, it has been so disappointing uh, for so many things these last few years. Like, think about it. We complained so much about 2020, and who would have thought that a week before 2022, we now, again, are closed down and doing online services only because of COVID exposures. Uh, we complained so much about 2020, who would have thought that now, just a week before 2022, People would still be having to quarantine and isolate and cancel their trips and not see their loved ones at Christmas. Uh, this Christmas, for a lot of people, I think, unexpectedly and quickly, has felt like kind of a disappointment. But, of course, we're getting used to disappointment by now, because over the past two years, it's just been one thing after the other. It's been play dates or family vacations or weddings or graduations but it's like you finally get your hopes up to do one big thing you finally start getting excited and, and looking forward to something and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you at the last possible second it happens so often not just because of covid but in general it happens so often that we've come up with a a hilarious meme for it, right? So if it's going to happen to us anyway, we might as well make fun of it and have a good time. So the meme would be called expectations versus reality. I'm sure that you've seen posts and pictures like these. Uh, expectation versus reality. I'll give you a few examples. Expectation versus reality when it comes to ordering food. You look at the menu and you think your burger is going to look like this, and then it looks like someone sat on it and you're like, where did all the toppings go? Or what about baking? expectations versus reality. You sit down with your kids at Christmas and you're going to make this perfect Olaf the snowman cake and instead you have this, you know, horrible zombie looking thing that's melting and falling apart. What about exercise? Expectations versus reality. I don't know how well you can see this online, but if you're going to do yoga, maybe you're thinking that you're going to look graceful and strong like this yogi, but you actually look like Joey from Friends just in pain. Um, what about one more? Sleeping with pets. Expectation versus reality. You're thinking it's going to be cute, warm snuggles, and it's actually getting kicked and clawed repeatedly in the face. 
I think you could probably say the same thing about sleeping with children if they come and crawl into your bed. Um, so anyway, we could get frustrated about it or we could just kind of joke and laugh about it. But COVID or not, this is just a, a feature of the way that life is. So often expectations don't meet reality. Uh, so often life is, is disappointing. And disappointment is no fun. So speaking of expectations and, and disappointments, God's Old Testament people had very high expectations for their coming Savior. And the reason they did is because the Old Testament prophets said so much cool stuff about this Savior who was coming. We read some of this in our text from Isaiah about how there's going to be no more battle and he's going to be the prince of peace and he's going to bring light into a world of darkness. And there's all these other prophecies like he is going to crush the devil's head and he's going to rescue God's people from all their enemies and nations from all around the world will, will stream to him and, and follow him. He is going to reign on David's throne and his kingdom is never going to end. Like the Messiah, the coming Savior, just sounds like the most awesome exciting person ever. And then he finally comes to earth. And how does he appear? He appears like a very ordinary looking baby. I don't know how often you've thought of this. Uh, we hear the Christmas story so often from the Bible, from Luke chapter 2. We read through those classic verses on Christmas Eve a few nights ago. I don't know how often you think of this aspect of it, though. Um, when the angels appeared to those shepherds out in the fields over Bethlehem, and they announced, today in the town of David, the Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And then when the angels left and the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which God has told us about. And then when they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who's lying in the manger, do you think their expectations matched up with reality? I mean, what they saw in that grubby, straw-filled manger was a very normal-looking baby, not doing much of anything, probably sleeping, maybe crying, maybe sucking his thumb. <laughs> I think it could have been tempting for those shepherds to look at baby Jesus and say, that's it. That's the big gift that we've been waiting for 2,000 years to receive. That's it. A little bit disappointing, perhaps. And sometimes it may be tempting for us, too, to be a little bit disappointed with Jesus. For example, we look at our life, and you know, we take our life very seriously, right? We've got big goals and dreams and aspirations for our life. I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to get this job. I want to end up with this person and we pursue these specific things, we pursue these goals, we work on them, we, we pray and pray and pray about them, and then sometimes our big life goals and dreams don't happen. And, and then we look up to heaven and we say, that's it? That, that's all you've got? I thought you had my back, God. I thought we were doing this together. I, I thought that you loved me. Or maybe it's health stuff. Maybe we have a health problem. Maybe our loved one has a health problem and we pray and pray and pray about it and we're like, God, I know that we're going to beat this and move through this. It's going to be great. And then the doctor tells us, you know, you just have this chronic issue and you're going to have this your whole life. It's not going to change. Or for your loved one, the doctor says it's going to be months. They maybe have weeks left. And you look up at God and say, that's it? 
this is all you've got? Like, I, I've been praying on this, and I, you're supposed to have my back, and I thought that you loved me. What's going on? Well, we can say the same for so many different disappointments that we have in life, but I wonder, could it be in these times, especially when we look up to God and we get so frustrated with him, could it be that the problem is not with God, but with us? Could it be that our expectations are off base? Could it be that we've forgotten who Jesus really is and what Jesus really came to do? So what our sermon text does for us today, it's very short, it's just those couple verses that we read, but what our sermon text does is it helps us to take a, a good hard look at the gift that God gave us in the manger at Christmas. Because the better we understand that gift, the better we understand the giver, the better we appreciate our God and his love. So Christmas is a good time to talk about gifts, right? I'm guessing that if you're watching this, probably in the last day or two, you've opened a couple of different gifts. Um, so let me ask you a question. What makes for a really great Christmas gift? A gift that is memorable and a gift that reaches out and grabs somebody. A gift that makes tears spring to someone's eyes and they stand up and just have to give you a hug. What is it that would make a gift so special? Um, it's not really the gift itself, but it's what's behind it and it's what went into it. For example, what makes a gift really great maybe would be thoughtfulness. That the person that's giving it to you, they know you so well and they've thought it through, and they know what you need, and they've been observant and careful, and they got you this thing that it's just the perfect thing for you. It fits you to a T. It's a thoughtful gift. Another type of special gift would, would maybe be a costly gift. If this person wanted to buy you something that was expensive, but they wanted you to have it, and so they budgeted for it, they saved up for it, they sacrificed other things and said no to other things so they could save up and give you this gift they really wanted you to have, this costly gift might feel very special. Or maybe what makes a gift special is the effort behind it. Has anybody ever given you a homemade gift where, you know, like financially it wasn't really that expensive, but the amount of time and the amount of effort that they put into it and all the work that they did, there's no other gift like this in the world. You couldn't put a price on something that somebody has invested so much of themselves into just for you. So whether it's thoughtful or costly or involves a great deal of effort, what makes a really special gift memorable is not the gift itself, it's everything that goes into it from the giver. From that perspective, thinking of it that way, now look again at God's gift to you in the Christmas manger. This is not just a baby. This is God's own son from all eternity. And think about what this means. The Father and the Son have a relationship that lasts much longer and is much deeper than any earthly father and son. You know, we believe in the teaching of the Trinity, that God is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of them have been there since the very beginning. And so you think about the things that they've gone through together, and you think about the experiences God the Father and God the Son have shared together. They created the world together. That's a pretty cool project. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was, was there in the beginning and all things were made through him. The Father and the Son working together to make the world along with the Holy Spirit. And then when the world fell into sin, 
the Father and the Son worked together to come up with this plan of salvation, this mission where someone was going to be sent into the world to crush the serpent's head, and it was going to be the job of God the Son. And then after that, God the Father and the Son did so much work with the nation that became known as Israel, the descendants of Abraham through whom that Savior would come. They, they worked with those people through so many tough circumstances. They watched them be brought into slavery in Egypt, and they victoriously led them back. And then the people fell away and fell into idolatry. And working through history, God the Father and the Son worked on this plan where Israel was exiled, and then they finally repented of their sins, and they came back. And, and now things were ready. They're in the promised land, ready for the Savior. But this is like thousands of years' worth of history. Just read the whole Old Testament and all the history that is there. From God's perspective... This is like a, an adventure movie or, you know, an action movie, a, a James Bond movie, a spy movie. Have you ever seen a movie like this where you have these two uh, action heroes and they have so much backstory that they can speak in very nuanced conversations like, remember Moscow? Oh, remember Hanoi? Oh, that was crazy. Man, this is almost like Cairo. Should we do a Cairo? Like people are thinking of all, you know, their experiences they've had and these missions they've been on. Think of two soldiers that have shared so many cool stories in just one human lifetime. But this is the father and the son. The entire history of the world is their shared story and their shared mission they've been working on. Think how close the father and the son must be. Inseparably close. Jesus said, I and the father are one. And yet the gift is that the father is willing to give up that son for sinful people like you and me. And the mission here is that Jesus, the Son of God, would not just take our place in a human body, but he would take our place on the cross. And there he would suffer the Father's eternal punishment for all the sins of the whole world. And we heard that sung so beautifully in our song this morning. It said, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. It's incredible. Our Christmas gift from God is, is thoughtful. A, a Savior who comes and takes on human flesh and takes our place and, and suffers for us and, and rises for us and brings us to heaven, it's exactly what we need. It's also a gift that's incredibly costly. What could be more costly than giving up your one and only son? Right? And then our Christmas gift from God finally involved a great deal of, of effort. You can picture the effort that Jesus put in living a perfect life in every aspect, fighting off temptation in every way, perfectly pursuing that task of, of living a life of righteousness for us and taking it to the cross to rescue us. This gift from God is thoughtful, it's costly, it takes a tremendous amount of effort. It shows God's love for us. How great the Father's love, right? So how, how can God show us that he really loves us? How, you know, how can God show us that loving care? He, he could do it by letting us get into the school we want to. 
Uh, he could do it by letting us find our dream job. He could do it by letting us find our dream person. But on Christmas, God takes it to a different level. He shows his love by sending his one and only son to save us. That is a truly priceless gift that can never be replicated. And then in our text today, from Romans chapter 8, Paul says, if God gave you a gift like that, if God was willing to give up his one and only son for you, how in the world is he not going to be willing to give you anything and everything else that you need? If God kept a promise like that to send his eternal son to be your savior, how is God not going to keep his other promises as well? And so maybe you can think of some of the other promises God has made to his people, to us. Like in Psalm 91, God promises us protection. He says he will send his angels to guard us in all of our ways. Or in Joshua chapter 1, God promises his presence. He says that surely he will be with us wherever we go. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, God promises that he's going to bring us to the end goal. He says he will rescue us from every evil attack and bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. And then some of God's most beautiful promises actually come from this very same chapter, Romans 8. Uh, our sermon text is wedged in the middle, but the whole rest of this chapter involves the concept of how God is going to bless us and be with us during times even of suffering and disappointment. For example, we have the promise that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Or we have the promise that, that nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from God's love. So God makes lots of promises to his people in the Bible. And they sound like pretty big promises, maybe impossible promises, until we remember God already kept the promise to send his one and only eternal son to death and to hell for us so that in exchange we could have forgiveness and eternal life. That is an enormous sacrifice. That is a costly gift. In fact, compared to that, everything else should be a piece of cake. And from God's perspective, it is. Your salvation, your preservation, your eternal life that's waiting for you, it's all as good as done in God's eyes. He's setting up your room in heaven already. Everything else compared to this is a piece of cake from God's perspective. But not from our perspective. From our perspective, life is so full of disappointments and so full of unmet expectations and so full of things that don't work out the way we wanted them to work out. And so this is why we need verses like Romans 8.32 to remind us of the incredible love that we have received from God and to remind us of what this gift says about the giver. The one who can give a gift like this knows us perfectly, loves us perfectly, and he will do anything it takes to not just bring us to heaven one day, but even to use our lives to bring others with us along the way. Christmas is proof that God will do whatever it takes to keep his promises, even if what it takes is some disappointment. In fact, sometimes God works specifically through disappointment. Now, we've got to be careful here 
because this is God's job. Right? When life is disappointing and, and life is hard, it's not our job to know, and we don't always know what God is doing. But it's not hard to see how maybe, maybe sometimes when life is disappointing and frustrating and it falls so short of expectations, maybe God can use those things to focus our eyes more clearly on our heavenly life. So we don't get so pulled into and focused on this shallow world, which in its present form, as the Bible says, is passing away. It's not going to last that long. God can use disappointments to train our eyes on our true heavenly home and away from this one. Or maybe, again, we hesitate to say what God is always doing because God is working things that we don't even know. But it's not hard to see how maybe, when life is especially disappointing and frustrating and falls short of expectations, maybe God sometimes uses those things to work from us a faith-filled response where we are so calm and relatively positive and, and relatively cheerful that it makes other people wonder what in the world is making us act so differently. And then maybe we can find a way to show them what it is that's making us act so differently. It's the gift of that tiny baby lying in the manger who really is the son of God. But we look at that manger. We look at that gift. And we know if God did that, God will do anything. We look at that and we know God is always working, even through disappointment. So as we move now into this new year, I guess the bad news is life isn't going to get less disappointing. <laughs> life isn't going to get easier. Disappointments and frustrations and being let down is just part of living in this sin-broken world. But as disappointments happen and as the troubles of life surface, may God bless us with the gift of a confident faith in him. Faith that says, a God who would do that for me. That's a God worth trusting. That's a God worth following for all my days. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.